Praise God, you guys. If you could go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And when you get there, I want to look specifically at beginning about at verse uh, you know, 17. We actually went through this briefly uh, in our last study. But this study will be quite a bit different than the last study we had. And I'm talking about those of you that are at Wednesday night, man. It's such a powerful passage. And we read in verse 17, and the, uh, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, that is to Jesus. And if you were here Wednesday night, we talked about how Jesus had just been baptized and he went out to the desert, the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. He overcame Satan, had victory over the evil one. And then guess what happened, man? He came back in, and then he announced his ministry about the age of 30 years old, amen, and the victory uh, that he has over a sin and, and sickness and, and the works of the devil. And we read that he opened to the prophet Isaiah when it was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Praise God for that. Amen. We were all captive to Satan, to hell, to death, to sin, to darkness. Right? He set us free. To set free those. Uh, and, and to recover your sight to the blind. That was all of us. But now we all see. And also he gave light, uh, uh, sight to many physically blind people. To set free those who are oppressed. Amen. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Amen. So man. We, have the, we, we are in the fair, favorable time of the Lord right now. And I point out in that study, without getting too deep into it, uh, he stops right before, and the day of vengeance. Boom. The day of God's wrath. He stops right before that. Because in his first coming, he didn't come to bring vengeance. Amen? He came to save whoever would come to him. Amen? In yes. his second coming, he doesn't come back as, a, as the Lamb of God, even though he's still the Lamb of God. And he'll still be the Lamb of God when he comes back. But he'll come back demonstrating that he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? Amen. And it says we come with all of his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on all those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So, man, you want to make sure you're right with him right now. Amen? That you're, you're trusting Jesus right now. That you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ right now. That's huge. It's so important that we make sure we know him. And it says that he closed the book right there in the very next verse. He went and sat down. And he closed the book. And he went back to the, to the attendant. And the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said, he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Then, bam, man, he's out there healing people, casting demons out, saving people from their sins, and going forth ministering. Now, the scripture says, As he is, so are we in this world, that we're the body of Christ. Amen. Now, he's given us a ministry to lead people to him because he is the only Savior. Amen. So that's our mission, and, and our Set Free campaign this, uh, this summer is about, you know, witnessing to the lost, sharing the gospel that sets people free. Amen? And it was great to see so many of you, because we kind of got a, a good start already, and we're, we had, I think, uh, what do you guys count, Holly, Chad, over 100 people from Blessed Hope? There was uh, over 100 people, there was more than that, but over 100 from Blessed Hope, uh, just there praying in front of Planned Parenthood. We met at the park, it was a very easy walk. After that, and it was just so awesome seeing all these brothers and sisters from Blessed Hope. And I know not everybody could make it, uh, but that's a that's a good group of people there, man. You drive by and you see a bunch of brothers, you see a bunch of Christians, so many of them with their shirts on, love life, standing for Planned Parenthood. It's a beautiful thing. There's a lot of prayer going on. We prayed before, we shared the word before at the park. We did our little march over there, and we just quietly just prayed and sought the Lord. And I know for a fact, guess what? God uses that. There's people in this fellowship that came here as a result of being witnessed to uh, and with babies saved, you know. I can think of two of their names right now, okay. And uh, one of the gals, she went there, and one of the gals uh, that was from Blessed Hope was there in front, and she shared the gospel with her. And she didn't just save one baby. That lady came back a couple more times, and those, both times she decided to keep those babies. And then she ended up here, okay. And some of you know her, then she moved away for some time. In fact, it's a public testimony. Her name is Keisha. And she just was just so grateful because she didn't just save her babies. God saved her babies. But she actually came to Christ, you know. And then another gal as well, 
at least her, uh, one of her first children, if not her first, was also witnessed to by this same gal. And she came here too, and she had not killed her baby. And they would talk with tears in their eyes about how they're so grateful they didn't kill their little, little, little guy. And, uh, and that happens thousands of times over. So your work is not done in vain in the Lord. Amen? So it's important that we, we share the gospel and that we don't just, we, we, we try to reach the kids and so forth. But Jesus came to set the captives free. Amen? In fact, we have a shirt, uh, and I had an artist draw it out years ago, but then Tony added to it and made it way better than it was even with what he did with the back. But can we show that shirt? This is for our uh, Setting the Captives Free campaign. I used it years ago for ministry, P, uh, P2411s. And there's the front. Can we have the lights off so we can see it better? Thanks, bro. Uh, there's in the front, it says, I've come to set, that's Jesus' words, I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, right? And then on the other side, it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to tell the good news, right? That's what gospel means. So it's my own translation because gospel means good news. Uh, uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set free those shattered by sin. That's kind of like a Joe Schimmel free translation, but it's true to the text. It's true to the Greek. Okay, and uh, kind of an amalgamation of a couple translations in my own as well. But right there, that shirt we're going to make available to you guys. Okay, and uh, and it's going to everybody can get one. You know, uh, we're doing that for Good Fight as well. But we thought, man, we need to have one with Blessed Hope on it and really emphasize our ministry here. Amen. So we can advertise Blessed Hope and so forth uh, to, to the to people because we're not supposed to just lead them to Christ. We're supposed to make disciples. Amen. So that's exciting. Uh, and Chad said, hey, man, make sure you encourage them. One of the challenges we have for you is if you go out to eat, share the gospel with somebody, you know. Share Christ with somebody, you know. Uh, hopefully the waiter. That's not hard to do. Some of you have been out to eat with me, and you kind of trip out because they, people know me, and they, they talk scripture with me because I'm witnessing it wherever I go, you know. Uh, and two guys at a, one restaurant, the chef and then the next chef, both became Christians one came out of a backslidden state after I'd been witnessing to him for some time. And one of them doesn't work there anymore. The other one says he still listens to the messages. Uh, I was with some of the gals, you know. I think it was Carol and, yeah, and uh, a couple other sisters, Kelly and Anita before she died, you know. And uh, a gal I'd been witnessing to asked if she could, if I, I think that was you guys were there, right? When she asked for a memory verse, she said, do you have a, a Bible verse I can memorize, you know? And uh, I've been witnessing to her for a little bit. She has a Roman Catholic background, so keep her in prayer. Uh, but I just did. I go, Chad, I just did this. Chad knew this because he told me he did. I'm like, yeah, because he's daughters with, with me. And I eat a lot at home now. I do a lot of barbecue and stuff because it's cheap. Or bone broth with eggs is really cheap, but it's so good for you. Man, you just kind of, you know, you ever have the, the Chinese, you kind of whip the eggs in them? What do they call it? The egg drop soup, man. You don't knock it till you try it. It's so healthy, full of protein. It's so good. Mark is going to get some right now. Look, he just got up. He got excited, you know. Praise the Lord, Mark. Anyway, uh, so, uh, but I took them out, but I took their brothers last time. I had all of their kids, which is four of them now, right? Uh, is that five now? Oh, I'm not supposed to say anything about the next, uh, you know. No, no, no. She's just got four. Uh, but I took the boys to sushi, and they just light up, and I told the girls I'd, I'd take them, and I took them. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, i got to be careful with the, the finances here. So I get them rice and some chicken first. I go, if you get through your rice and chicken and vegetables, I go, you get a little sushi too. I'm sitting there, and we're about done, right? And we're just like getting close, and then we're at the sushi bar. And then two people come in, and I'm like, and I, I meet them, you know, and we had a friendly conversation, husband and wife, you know, and we had a really good talk and really sweet people. And I tried to share with them in various ways. And I gave them, and one of the things we're going to be talking about, because the name of this message is the power tools of the gospel. Power tools of the gospel. You have power tools, man, that you ought to be using. Can you imagine working to build a house and the whole time you're trying to build this house and it's taking you years? You have all these power tools that all you have to do is just, they're already plugged in, just have to pick them up and use them? That would be kind of a mess. You know, you're like, wow, I didn't see this. And you're on the, this island and you're like, I could have used all these power tools. I don't know how you got electricity there, but you got it, you know. And then you just didn't do it. You'd be like remissed and upset and disappointed. Well, guess what? You have incredible power tools in Jesus. And so I'm talking to them for a bit. And then I'm just sharing with them testimonies and stuff and how, how uh, 
They want, you know, I told them how the fellowship got, say, uh, got started and how the Lord divinely, supernaturally answered a prayer when I was crying out to God, telling the, the, some of the brothers there that I mean, we're all talking about, saying, why don't we turn this into a church? We're meeting at your house. We all are so like-minded. Why don't we do it? And some of you heard that story, and I just cried out to God. And I, I told them, I said, I know I'm doing evangelism. I was sent tile at the time. And uh, I said, you know, I have to know it's the Lord's will. So he's going to have to open the door because we have no money in a building. And number two, he's going to have to give me something just short of skywriting. You know, I'll tell you the short version of the story. And I just, just something short of sky, uh, skywriting. And uh, the next week they said, man, Calvary Chapel left their bungalow building. I didn't even know they had a bungalow building. YMCA was letting them use it. And it's wide open. What's the cost? Zero. No money. Oh, really? No, no catch. 400 bucks for insurance a year. That's about a dollar a day. I think we can swing that. Uh, I'm like, we're like, praise God, you answered our prayers so quick. Praise the Lord. I'm like, and I felt like these bricks on my shoulders. I'm like, I don't know. I go ask for two answers to that prayer. And one was something just short of skywriting. Because I'm going to be changing my whole life. I'm going to have people knocking on my door at 2 in the morning. And if I'm not called to be a pastor, that's not going to be the deal that God wants me in. If that's not it, then I'm going to be bearing a burden he doesn't want me to bear. And I'm going to be, I'm doing They Sold Their Souls. I'm being invited to go to churches all over the place doing They Sold Their Souls for rock and roll. I go, I know I'm seeing a ton of people get saved. i got to make sure this is God. So we pray. The next week, a gal named Kim in the valley, San Fernando Valley, who we'd known from years earlier, you know, she ends up, uh, she went through some very, very harsh difficulties, you know, with the guy that she was with. And, and it's just a long story. And we felt really, really bad for her. And uh, she, uh, we hadn't, I, hadn't seen, I hadn't seen her for years, you know. And all of a sudden, she calls my mom's house. We didn't have cell phones back then. So she didn't have Lisa's or my cell phone, right? She calls my mom's house, and I'm at Lemon Drive playing pickup basketball game, you know? And all of a sudden, uh, on a Saturday, and then she rings Lisa. That's not a ring, that's a knock, huh? She rang. <laughs> she rings, and Lisa goes, Schimmel Residence. And Kim goes, hey, Lisa, it's Kim. You know, and they, she starts sharing. She goes, I had this incredible dream. And she goes, what was your dream? And she goes, uh, I was going down the street, and I was passing, walking past the church, and I was like, I need to get right with God, because she's returned to partying and everything, you know, smoking pot and all that stuff. She goes, I know I need to get right with God, but I don't know if he would accept me back, you know. I thought I'd gone too far, you know. And she goes, so I prayed, God, please lead me to a church, you know, because she knew us from Simi Valley. We fellowshiped at the same church, and we weren't in that fellowship anymore, and we had this Bible study going on, and we'd been going to another church at Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks, and uh, but they all wanted to start this church together. And then literally, guys, I don't know why I haven't told this. How many is first time hearing this? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of you guys. So it's interesting. I'll just close it down with this is that she goes, what happened? She goes, I went to, I laid down in bed and uh, I had this crazy dream. In my dream, you guys had a Bible study going on at your house. Well, when we knew her, she, we didn't even have a house when I knew her. So, okay, well, that's, she goes, yeah. She goes, and everybody was so on fire for the Lord. It was like a commune. Everybody just loving each other. It's kind of like it is now, guys. That's why this continues to this day. You know, you go to church. You can't come to the church and leave without getting a bunch of hugs. Unless you're like really super small running around, the, you know, you know uh, and get love, you know. And she goes, and it was just like commune. And she goes, and Lisa, you guys were all started. You guys were talking about starting a church. And she goes, and I woke up. And it was such a powerful dream. Like God was inviting her to be in fellowship. And She's like, Kim, that's exactly what's going on, which I tripped out. I'm telling this to these people next to me. And the lady next to me, she goes, wow, that was like answered for her? Exactly. And for you guys? I go, exactly. So I gave her testimonies. I gave her, I talked about how, uh, you know, I got saved, you know, and they sold their souls and how Chad saw it, fell on his knees and came to Christ and so forth. I use other people's testimonies as well as my own. And I don't even think I got into my personal testimony at all, really. I just jumped because that's a little bit longer one. And it was just awesome. And at the same time, I'm thinking as I'm sharing with them, man, now it's like the bill has gotten bigger. My wife's going to freak out when she sees this bill because I hung out with them for like an hour after I was going to leave about an hour earlier. And he's like, have you tried that? Or I'm like, do you try this? And then I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, this is a bummer. I don't know how much the bill is going to be. And then guess what? When I went to pay the bill, they said, I go, I go, oh, I want to pay my bill. I got to get it. She goes, the waitress goes, you can't do that. It'll take a while. I go, why? She goes, they, they got your bill for you. 
I was like, oh, praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. So I'll be looking for them again, you know, to witness to them a second time, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, just kidding. But no, that all happened except looking for them again. I will look for them again if I see them and encourage them in the Lord, you know. But we just want to be witnesses wherever we go, you know. And sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it's not as easy. Sometimes it's like, oh, well, it's hard to just break into a conversation. Bring a track with you, man. Just give someone a track, you know. Pray, but pray. And it's so important. So it's called, this message called Power Tools uh, uh, of, for the Gospel. Your Power Tools for the Gospel. And we have a lot of power, the power of the Holy Spirit, at our disposal. In Matthew chapter 28, we usually quote verses 19 and 20. Go to all the world to preach the gospel to all nations. Amen. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to deserve all things that have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Verse 20, even to the end of the age. But verse 18 is so important. Because in verse 18, Jesus says, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Amen? That means all power in heaven and earth, that's all power, is given unto me. Amen? And that power is at, guess what? And the Greek word for power there, the Greek, it's usually translated authority, or it should be, because the word is exousia. It's not dunamis. It's, it speaks of his authority over everything. Therefore, he sends us out into the world. Amen? To be witnesses. Representing him and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have these power tools, guys. You know? And I did a lot of jo different jobs before I was, uh, became a pastor. And, you know, one of my jobs was a punch-out guy. So I had to get a bunch of houses ready for sale. So that means when you got a new track, guess what? The trades go in and out of there, and they leave a lot behind, and they don't finish a lot of the stuff sometimes. Okay, so I got to patch some drywall. Okay, so I got to put some baseboard down. Okay, so I got to do this, that, or the other. I got to paint this or paint that fireplace or whatever. And then, but you know what? If I didn't have power tools, like especially when you're, the one track I was in had huge, thick, dense oak cooktops. And you had to drill them in. And if they didn't get that done, man, then you had to drill them in, man. And if I didn't have my electric drill, and I didn't even have Makita, man. I had the cheaper one. <laughs> I got a Makita later, you know, for you guys that are in construction or even... All the electricians had Makitas then. And I, I got one, I think it was a Black and Decker or whatever for 50, 60 bucks, and the Makitas were 125 and I was like kind of cheap. You know, I was like, that's expensive, you know. Anyway, if, if I didn't have, and I had to screw those, those in by hand with a Phillips head, it ain't gonna, it's, you know it's not going to happen, right? All right, still be there, as Mark said. Mark's a, Mark's a contractor. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'd still be there. And I praise God for power tools. Then after that, I became a tile setter. And we use mud. So you use some, we use mixers. You can mix the mud by your hand. That's a lot of work. We had mixers. And if you're not from California, you're saying, I'm a tile setter in Pennsylvania or whatever. We don't use mud. We just use thin set. Well, we use thin set too. But in California, in the West Coast, you know that, Mark, we actually put mud up thick and we have to, you know, put it up and basically scrape it and build a wall. Okay? Uh, and, but guess what? I also had a diamond-bladed saw for my tile, to cut my tile. Mark, if I didn't have a saw, would it be kind of hard to set, do that? I don't know how the Romans did it, man. I've been, I'd still be there again, right? On my first tub or my first shower or my first whatever. Be a mosaic, be a creative mosaic. I've seen some, I trip out when I go and check out, we checked out uh, uh, in Israel, when you look at some of the stuff the Romans did, intricate tile with little tiny pieces of tile. I'm like, how did they do this without a tile saw? And it's like, it's very, very impressive, you know. But praise God for power tools. But guess what? How many of us as Christians, we don't have confidence to witness because we're not using his power. We're not utilizing, or I should say, relying on the power and the leading and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need to crowd to the Lord and say, use us, Lord. So I want to have, I have two messages. I will be here next Sunday, okay? I'm just going away for a couple days, two or three days. And I'll be here, I'll be back uh, to do part two of this. But I want to talk to you in both these messages about power tools. And you don't want to miss the second one because there's a lot of good stuff in that one as well. But we have power tools at our disposal that the Lord wants us to use. I'm going to show you that from Scripture. And you ought to be using them. And, and, he, and guess what? Anybody, anyone that's a believer, not should be, but is commanded to be utilizing what God has called us to rely on. He's given us... But Holy Spirit-empowered ability as the body of Christ. 
I trip out on the abilities he gives people, not just people, animals, creatures. Somebody say their favorite animal, and the reason they like that animal, if, if you like it, not because it looks, but what it can do. What would the animals be if you have one of your favorite animals? Elephant. And a what? An ox. Oxes are awesome. Amen. Praise God. Uh, an elephant over here? Elephants are super. An alpaca. Wow, we got some really cool ones, man. Make sure you say words I can know how to say too, you know. <laughs> Alpacas are awesome animals, actually. And elephants are amazing memories. And they're actually the only animal we know about that goes and visits their dead. And they go to the, you know, the boneyard and visit and show affection, you know. Koala? You like its fast climbing ability? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's an ability, right? Kind of like the sloth, just kind of, you know. But faster than the sloth, right? Can beat them around. Well, guess what? I've encountered one of the most incredible creatures. It's one of, it's one of my favorite creatures right now. I was hiking with my, four of my grandchildren, Holly and Chad's kids, with my wife as well. And we're hiking, and it was getting kind of dark, and and I'm usually the one that pushes too far. And my wife says, I get scratches whenever you take me out. If you don't just take me through the, because I like to go through the, where people don't go, you know. And I haven't done that as much lately. And, and I usually push further. And she goes, you get us back when I, we can barely see. And I'm like, okay. And now she wants to go to a creek even further up. Because we're hunting frogs and stuff, right, for the kids. And we've seen a bunch of them. But I'm like, are you sure? Because we're not getting back on time. It's going to be dark. And she's like, no, we'll be good. And man, it was pretty dark, but we made it back. But the last, we came back, and when we got back, we, have to, we came back, which was the first creek. Now it's the last creek on the way back. And, you know, we're uh, a, couple of, a couple of girls tend to run off a little bit and leave me and the dog. So I gave the mountain lion video I watched, we watched before we got to what mountain lions can do. If you run off and get away from the dog and, and pop up, you know, and they were tripping out on that, you know, so they stayed a little closer. Uh, but... We're at this creek, and we're back, and there's just a few frogs, but you can barely see. And as these frogs are, like, you know, jumping around, it was hard to see them. You could see them, though, because there's a lot of white little, little white rocks, and they're a little darker, but it was, it was hard to see. And then I see something. Now, the frogs would swim downstream if they caught a current, because they're used to being polywogs, but now they've got legs, and they'd swim a little bit, some of them. But I'm seeing one swimming in the opposite direction, upstream, and it's three times the size of the other ones. Good to see you guys, by the way. I didn't even know you were here. Praise God. It's good to, praise God. Love you guys. Uh, anyway, who, who, who's, who's new there? Who are they Come and see next week, maybe, you know. You guys live out of state now, right? Praise God. Doing well? Praise God. Okay, I got to get back to the story because my daughter will get on me and say, Dad, you can't leave your story so long. Okay, so <laughs> it's swimming upstream, and it's going straight like a submarine. I mean, it's not like a fish. And I'm like, I'm going to grab it because I'm like, that's a big frog because we're trying to get big ones and they're all pretty much the same size. And I'm going to grab it, but I'm trying to keep up with it. It's moving pretty good. And I'm going along the stream trying to think about, but I'm thinking, do I grab it? I don't even know what that thing is. But then I'm trying to process what could be poisonous that would actually hurt me. Just grab it. No, don't grab it. So I just stick my foot in front of it, right, in the, in the stream. And it diverts it and it goes up onto the land. I'm like, okay, it's a fish going up on the land. And then it starts booking it, running. And I'm like, what is running now? You know, and it's taken off. And this is the riddle. If you can figure it out, if you know already, because I've told you the story, I've told it to a couple people, don't say. But if you can figure this out, you can let me know. Uh, and then it's booking fast. And I'm like, what in the world? And I'm, I'm trying to keep with it. It's like, and Eli goes, it's a mouse, it's a mouse. And I'm like, do I grab it? It's too short to be a lizard. And I'm like, but, but it's dark, you know. It's really dark at that point. And I'm like, and then, I, and then I, I chase it up the trail a little bit. Eli runs with me. And then it goes up toward the embankment, toward the brush. And that's where lizards like to go. They, got, they want to take off in the brush so you can't catch them. And I'm like, I'm going to lose it. Okay? So I stick my foot in that brushy area, and it stops. But then it stops, and then, and then I, I kind of lost it. And then we don't have a light that actually works, you know. We have a, we have a, uh, I have a, 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 a collar that we put on, you know, it blinks for, for our dog. So we're sticking that there, and it's blinking. We're trying to see in the blinks, you know. I'm like trying to get my thing, because I can make it actually steady, but I'm like all excited. And I'm like, man, how do I make this thing steady? And then Eli says, Pop-Pop, it's a moth. Yeah, a moth, right? 
And I'm tripping out on this moth. And I'm like, and I, and I, I, I grab it. I scoop it up somehow. I think Eli gave me a shirt. So I grabbed it, put him in his shirt, got home. And then I put it in a jar. I'm like, and we're walking, Eli and I are like having a little debate because I go, this dude is amazing. He swims like, a, like a, a fish. He runs like a lizard, okay? And he has wings and he flies. Who would have ever thought a moth could do all those things? And Eli was, Eli was right. Eli was being analytical. And Eli says, Pop-Up, you don't know that it flies, though. Ostriches have wings and penguins have wings and they don't fly. I'm thinking, I go, technically, you're right, you know? I go, but those wings look like it could fly, you know? So we get up there. And then I'm like, I got to find out what kind of moth this is. And I, I find out, okay, first, how many species of moths are there? So let's narrow down the, I love to do research, right? I'm like, 160,000 different moths. Uh-oh. <laughs> this could detract from my, you know, Bible research and teaching. But this is kind of God's wonders, right? So it kind of fits into what I do. And I'm like, man, how? So I go, Eli, and we got this thing in the jar. I go, let's describe this thing. Well, it has these white stripes, Eli says, down the, yeah, I go, it's brown with white stripes. So I put white stripes, or they, sometimes they're called silver stripes, moth, and swims, and does all these things, and, and then I just started to narrow down the search, so I started searching it, and then one came up, and can you show that picture, Jonathan? And we looked at this, and we we're like, ah, this is it, and this is called a white or striped hawk moth, Okay. And it's about, you know, two inches long or so, right? And I understood if it could fly, that it didn't fly because it was just got wet, right? And I understood why it didn't run in the bushes, because I lost it for a second, because it's, moths don't want to lose all this stuff on their wings, right? And it's wet. If it runs through the bushes, it's, I'm like, ooh, number four, it's really smart. It stopped right there. It's like, I'm not going to run through the, through the thick brush. Anyways, we're looking at that thing, and we're tripping out on it, and uh, we're 90% sure, Okay. Uh, the reason we weren't absolutely sure is because the ones we were looking at have pink at the very bottom in the middle of their wings. So when the wings kind of connect at the bottom, halfway down, it was pinkish to a degree. And you don't see the pink so much on that one, but you, you can see a hint of it. And guess what? The next morning, uh, I got up and I'm like, I'm going to take this thing back to the creek. Give me an excuse to hike again. You know, take the kids out again. They love to go hiking. So I'll go out there, be good exercise. And I take them out and we go again, the, the boys. We just go up. And we, then we had like a three-hour hike up and back. It was awesome. But I let him go because I felt so bad for him, man, because he was swimming and having a great time of his life. Anyways, he's going to just swing around my light in my front porch and the bird's going to get him or something, you know. So, but guess what? He does fly. And he doesn't just fly. In fact, Let's show the video. It's just a minute long of him flying. We're just beholding the Lord's wonders. This guy is not just called a white striped moth. And by the way, we knew it was this moth because guess what? In the morning, he starts flapping his wings super, super quick. And on the back side of his wings, you see all the pink. And you're like, oh, it is him for sure. I'm like, yeah, 100% now. There's a pink at the back of his wings or at the bottom of his wings. So it was 100% this deal. But guess what it's also called? A, humming, a hummingbird hawk moth, because it flies like a hummingbird. <laughs> it can't just fly, you know? So sometimes when you think, honey, there's a hummingbird out there. Well, maybe, it may not be. It might be a hummingbird hawk moth, you know? Is that crazy, guys? Super cool. That was worth the wait, right? So you guys, if you see that moth on the ground and you just killed it, you think, you don't know it swims like crazy. You don't know it can run as fast as you maybe. You don't know that it flies like a hummingbird. I'm saying, guess what? You wouldn't think that moth could do much. That's the same with you. People might look at you. You might look at yourself. I can't do much. Well, guess what? Jesus said you're more valuable than what? Many sparrows. Amen? Probably more valuable than many, many of these moths. And the Lord's equipped us to do the good news. Amen? To share the good news and preach the good news. The question is, are we going to do it? He's, I can't do anything. <laughs> Come on. If he could do all that, you could preach the gospel. Amen? You could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you guys to get serious about recognizing that the Lord, the Lord gave him the ability to swim, or her, I don't know, it could be her, gave her or him the ability, I want to get the pronoun right, but I'm not sure what it is, right? You know? Yeah, no, when I say right, I mean biblically right. Whatever's biological sex is, is what it is, her or him, 
right? I'm not going to call her or him, but it, we'll call it, okay? Hey, I was treating that thing nice. I brought it all the way back to the creek, okay? But anyway, um, it's got all these cool abilities. And I was going to just give you a riddle. What swims like a submarine or swims really fast, runs really fast, and flies like a hummingbird? I would have never got it, you know? Last thing I think is a moth, right? You guys, the Lord's disciples turned the world upside down in their day. The Roman Empire was being totally, radically, so many people were coming to Christ and being converted. Amen? The Lord wants to use us to his glory. And I want to encourage you guys to recognize that he wants us to rely on his power tools. In fact, listen to Luke chapter, or go to Luke chapter 24, verse 48. Many of you have got your Bibles open, are close there. If you've got your phone, you can look as well. Luke 24, 48. Jesus told his disciples at the end of his ministry, after he rose from the dead, in verses 47 and 48, that repentance, he sends them out, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem, right? Beginning from Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you forth the promise of my Father upon you. What's the promise of the Father that would come upon them? Who? The power of who? The Holy Spirit. But you are to stay in the city until what? You are clothed with power from what? On high. Okay? Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 8. They're asking Jesus at this time, he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel and so forth. And Jesus says this. Verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs with which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my what? Witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the what? The remotest parts of the earth, man. That's a prophecy that's being fulfilled, amen? Right now, to this day, this, what Jesus said would happen is continuing to happen. We haven't evangelized every nation yet. We're getting closer and closer. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, when they want to know the signs of the times, he said, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the world's witness to all the nations, then what will happen? Then the end will come. Amen? So we need, and the Bible even says in 2 Peter chapter 3, to hasten the coming of the day of the God. How do you hasten it? He's talking about how God doesn't will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. In other words, get off your rear ends and get out there and preach the gospel. Because, and it says in Romans chapter 11, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then the deliverer will come from Zion. So when the last believer, last person comes to Christ among the Gentiles, the deliverer will come from Zion. Amen? And then all Israel, or I'm sorry, it says all Israel will be saved. That remnant, that spiritual Israel, the Jews, uh, up from the 12 different tribes that are crying out for the Messiah to save them from the Antichrist who's being protected in the wilderness, says they'll see him whom they pierced. Zechariah chapter 12. They'll see him, the Messiah, who they pierced. Amen? So this is part of God's program, but what, what, what part do we play? Well, we've been saved, but why does God leave us here? A few reasons. One is so we can be tested and tried and purified and become more like Christ. Amen? Learn how to love and, and trust God in our trials. But also, we're here to win the lost. Amen? We've been given the great commission. But for many Christians, it's the great omission. The Bible says to know to do good and not do it is sin. So if we're like, oh, you know, I'll let other people shine the light. I'll let other people pray for people. I'll let other people pray that the Father would send out, you know, laborers in the harvest field. Or I'll let other people pass out tracts or share the gospel. No, he wants us all to be witnesses. Amen? I'm not saying it looks the same for each and every one of us. You know, God doesn't call every single person here to go to the park where we went with uh, Love Life Ministries yesterday and, 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 and do the same exact thing all the time. But he has you doing something for the kingdom where you ought to be. Amen? There's all kinds of things he can have you do, and he does want us to do. So it's just amazing to me that we have power, guys. In your own power, you can't convert anybody. God can use you to persuade people. We see that word persuade used throughout Acts of God's using his various disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit, though. We see Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit testifying, amen? And the Apostle Paul is there while he's being stoned to death. And the Apostle Paul isn't the Apostle Paul. He's Saul at that time before his conversion. And they're laying his clothes at, at the Apostle Paul's feet before he's called the Apostle Paul because he was the one sent by the Sanhedrin to get Christians to blaspheme Christ. 
And Paul did, Stephen did not turn to the left or right, but he preached and it said nobody could resist what he said. He spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And God wants to use us. Well, Stephen was an apostle. No, Stephen was not an apostle. Okay, he can use us too. Amen? Amen. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, don't premeditate what you speak in the end of days when they bring you before civil leaders, before the kings. He's talking about the time of the Antichrist. The apostles have been long dead, right? They've been dead for centuries now. The time of the Antichrist hasn't happened yet. He said in Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, that the Holy Spirit will give you utterance and speak through you. Amen? So the Holy Spirit wants to use us. That doesn't mean every time you witness, it's the Holy Spirit giving you specific words. But guess what? There's many times when you're sharing the gospel, especially if you're praying, you're seeking God, the Holy Spirit will put thoughts and words in your mouth and thoughts in your heart to witness to somebody. And that means we need to be praying. But we, we do not want to go witnessing without praying. One thing I appreciated yesterday about the ministry that was going on is uh, there was so much prayer going on. You know, I love that. I'm like, praise God. You know, these people know how important prayer is. Amen. And the fellowship was praying from the time we got there off and on, uh, basically without ceasing to a degree at the park. Then we went to Planned Parenthood and, and we prayed in front of Planned Parenthood, 100 plus of Blessed Hope people here and with other people from other churches. It was really, really beautiful. Uh, but it's so important that we realize we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Greek word translated power there in Acts 1.8, when, when it says in Luke 24, you'll be clothed with power from on high. I remember when I was a new Christian, I loved how it was put in the King James, something like, you'll be endued with power from on high. I love that. And I love Acts 1, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And power, he brings the, he's, that's the power tools, man. He brings power to the church. Amen? And the Greek word there is an exousia. It's not the word for authority. It's the word dunamis. Dunamis. And that Greek word dunamis is used of a mighty army. It's used of armies coming in all their power and all their might. Well, guess what? We have available to us in the kingdom of God as we seek the Lord, as we cry out to him, as we seek to be in his will, fulfilling his will, being true to him. We have the dunamis power of God available to us. The, the dunamis, the, the, the army of God, the, the, the heavens, God, heaven and earth, all belongs to me, Jesus said. All power in heaven and earth, amen. And we have that outbreaking of that power, that, that might, when we witness. But we have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. If you feel tired and, and oh man, I can't go on, and I know what that is like at times, but as a pastor, I know that I need to continue to get refilled. So I have to constantly pray and cry out to God, you know. Lisa and I, we just went through a really, really tough month or two, you know, and you're just constant going with different funerals. And it's not just the funeral. Doing the funeral is the easiest part. It's all the care that goes on between and after these things that could, uh, and before that and ministering to different people and uh, so forth. And you want to do that because that's where your heart's at. But man, and, and that's on top of all the other ministry we do. So, and I never, I never talk like this hardly, but I'm saying, yeah, you get tired once in a while. I said, you know what? We just need to stay in prayer, you know, and, and. But it's like, a lot of, sometimes you got a lot of pressures. You just got to cry out to God. You also got to find your time to wait on the Lord, to seek Him, you know? And we don't, if you, we don't take a lot of vacations, hardly, hardly, you know, I mean, a lot of pastors get three, four weeks or, or whatever. I don't ask for that. You know, I, I say, whatever the Lord gives me, I'm, I'm good. In fact, you know what? I go away, I want to come back. Especially as I've been older, man. It's like, you know what? I can't wait to get back and minister. And, and, and when I'm away, if you ask my wife, it's not a vacation. It is, to a degree, right, baby? Come on, you have a good time, right, baby? <laughs> but she knows I bring my books, I study, I'm still putting things together. So I'm, I'm not like, I want to leave all my books home. Because that wouldn't be a vacation. That would be like, I'm locked up and shackled, you know? Well, wait, don't you go out and have a good time? Yeah, did you hear about my hiking trip we just had? Lisa had a blast, man. You should have seen her running, running from what she thought was a mouse, you know? <laughs> but we, 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 have, we still have a good time. But you just juggle it all in, in Christ. But you know, I can't do any of that. In my own strength, they say, I, I used to quote the statistic that pastors usually burn out after the first two years. And somebody came to me afterwards when I said that last time, years, about six months ago or a year ago, they said, you know, they've been reading, they read an article and they said, now it's every year, by a year and a half. Average pastor lasts about a year and a half. Well, it's not because I'm anything or the pastors that have longevity or anything. If they're true pastors, they're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it's the same Holy Spirit that we're all to rely on because God says he's not partial. Amen. And, I, and the Holy Spirit keeps showing you your need for Jesus, your reliance on the gospel and how good he is. And that gets you excited. You just want to praise God. Amen. He continues to show you the needs that are out there and how he's equipped us to minister for him. 
But we're called. And you know what it says in Mark 1.17? Jesus said to his disciples that when he was calling the early disciples, he said to them, come, follow me. I will make you what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. But you know what? They're used to just fishing with their nets in their own strength. And they realized they couldn't really get big hauls. When Jesus was there, on more than one occasion, they got some big hauls. Amen? Because he has long before, you know, our technology affords us, you know, uh, x-ray where we can, Jonathan, what's the next Saturday? There'll be x-ray, I mean, praise God for that because you can see where the fish are. But they had better than sonar than, than we have now because Jesus knows exactly where they are. They are. Tells them where to go, boom. Well, guess what? He is our fishing guide. He is the captain of our salvation. He's the captain of our ship. Amen. And we have dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. And it reminds me of a story I told years ago of, of, a, of a fisherman who was fishing, not deep sea, but fishing in the lakes and going into the coves and stuff with his little boat. And everybody else may catch something, two, three, or four, but they would a lot of times get skunked. But he always had a huge haul. And nobody could understand how he had got a huge haul. He didn't understand. But he had dunamis. Well, dunamis in another way. We get the word dynamite from dunamis, okay? He'd go into the cove, and he would come back with a bunch of fish. Nobody knew what was going on. And then finally, the game warden's like, you know what? There's no way he's catching fish right now. He's still catching it. He followed him secretly in a little boat. And he sees him light a stick of dynamite. And it's true. If you throw dynamite in the water, it implodes fish, and they come floating to the top. True story. I don't know that from doing it. I just know about that, you know. Uh, no, I would never do that. If I'm going to take a moth back, I don't do that, okay? <laughs> so, so anyway, he lights it, and he comes up to me and goes, caught you red-handed, dude. You are in huge, huge trouble. He flings it to the game warden. Game warden catches it, and he says to the game warden, are you just going to sit there or are you going to fish? Well, you know, that's, I, don't, I don't think that's a true story. But, but you know what? It's a, good, it's a good picture. It's a good picture because guess what? Do you know witnessing is illegal in certain areas, right? Is being used by the Holy Spirit is illegal in certain areas. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They prayed, and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 4. They went out and preached the gospel, and then they were warned, don't you go back and preach anymore. But the Holy Spirit directed them right back, and they said, better obey God than men. Amen. So using the dunamis of God is illegal in certain areas. Right now, it's legal. You should be fishing everywhere right now. And when it's illegal, you should be saying, Lord, help me wise the serpent, harmless the dove, and still fish, even though I'm in an Islamic nation and they say I can't fish. Or I'm in China and I can't preach the free gospel. We need to still preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's a ton of Muslims. There's a ton of people that don't know Jesus that, that need to get saved. Amen? So we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And now it's also important... We have the power of prayer, the power tool of prayer. And so many people, so many Christians do not recognize the power that's available to them through prayer. You know, if you called, if you could just call the president up, hello, you could get things. I mean, if, if he was your dad, dad, I need some cocaine. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Okay, I don't know where that came from, but if you've been following the news lately, they found cocaine in the White House, and his son's had a drug problem, okay? So, uh, so you wouldn't do that, though, right? But if you could call, if you could call Biden and uh, get him to do some things, like, and he was a willing partner, and like, for instance, keep the fentanyl from coming over the border, or uh, stop more babies from getting aborted, right? Maybe speak a good word for the children, which you won't do, the babies, uh, but you can go to someone far more powerful than Joe Biden. Oh, what a privilege it is to take everything to him in prayer, right? Amen. But then that song goes on to talk about lamenting that we don't take everything to him in prayer. And we need to pray. We have not, it says, because we what? We ask not. And sometimes we don't have because it says you, you pray, but you pray to fulfill your own desires, your own lust, James chapter 4. Or it says in 1 John chapter 5, it talks about we have it when we ask if we pray according to his will. Amen. So if you're praying and say, oh, I didn't think about asking for cocaine. Well, you missed my point. Okay. God's not going to answer that prayer. Amen. You want to answer, ask according to his will. But guess what it is his will for you to do? Be a witness for Jesus. Amen. He's told us to go. 
He told us he'll empower us. He's given us every encouragement. And the way you can use that dynamite, the dunamis of the Lord, is through prayer. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 for them. And he prays that they'd understand the height and the depth, the width, the length of God's love to them, toward them in Christ Jesus. Beautiful prayer. And he also prays. He also prays for them that they would, he says, uh, unto him, he says, he says, unto him who empowers us, he says. He says, he gives us dunamis, okay? Uh, it says, he, he, uh, the church will endure throughout all generations. And I love, I love the prayer because at the end, and it's Ephesians 5.20, he talks about that power that's available to us. And he says, unto him is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we dream or think. Can you imagine that? Think of that verse. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we dream or imagine or think. And it says, according to the dunamis that is in us. So we have the dunamis in us, the Holy Spirit. He's a person, but he's full of power. And he wants to use us. He's, he's grieved when we sin, it says. But he wants us to be in his will. He wants to use you to his glory. And Paul prays that we'd be filled with the fullness of God there. That's right before that. He prays that we fill with the fullness of God. That's the Holy Spirit in us. So pray. Say, Lord, use me. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your dunamis. Help me be a bright light. Help me be a witness for your kingdom. Amen? Use me to your glory. But you can't just pray and then refuse to get up and do anything. Then you need to get up and do it. Amen? You say, okay, I want to be a witness now. Okay? I want to, put, I want to walk my talk. Amen? I want to walk my prayer. Now I'm going to go and be a witness and shine the light. And we've got all kinds of opportunities. And I praise the Lord over 100 people showed up at our, our last witnessing opportunity. And that was a witness because you were shining the light for Jesus as people drive by. Thousands of cars probably passed by through both streets or at least several hundred in the time we were there. And we get to be his witnesses. And what a, what a privilege it is to bring everything to him in prayer. And I love uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's, I have it memorized in the King James. I like the King James there. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Or the New King James, the, you know, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Okay? The effectual fervent prayer, it actually says. I think the New King James is the effective fervent prayer. King James is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The, the uh, NASB has the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Same meaning. Amen. So we want to recognize the, the power of prayer that is at our disposal. And then I love what he says after that. This is really important. After that, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Right after he says that. He says, Elijah was a, a, man, a man with a nature like ours. Why do you think he says that? How many realize, I believe he says that because how many people say, well, how righteous am I? Oh, is the Lord going to hear my prayer? You know, we all go through that at times in our Christian walk. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or can accomplish much. But am I righteous enough? Well, guess what? Then he reminds us, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He had his ups and downs. One minute, he's busting in the doors of the palace to King Ahab, saying, you know what's going to happen, King Ahab? It's not going to rain for 42 months. God's going to shut the heavens. Wow. He'll pray later, and the heavens will be open for 40. Boom, now it's raining. Pretty powerful, amen? But guess what? Another time, he's like, Jezebel swears that she's going to kill him because he's wiped out his, her prophets, and she's, the, she's the, called the witch. She's the queen of Ahab, and he's pictured the Antichrist. And he, now he's hiding in the cave, afraid of a woman. He had his ups and downs. But he had prayers answered, man. I love that. I think that's powerful that he is a man with a nature like ours. Wow. And then you know what he talks about right after that? Brethren, in verse 19 and 20, Brethren, if any of you turn from the truth and one converts him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. And sandwiched in between, on the other side of that verse, was praying for one another, confessing your sins to one another, praying for each other. So we're supposed to be caring for our brothers. And we're supposed to be winning souls. And it's in the context of winning people back that have fallen away. And how many of you know that the Lord doesn't want you just to be a witness to the lost, but he wants you to bring the backslider back. Amen? Just like Jesus restored Peter when he fell. Amen? 
So I want to encourage you in the name of Jesus, man, when you're out witnessing and we're going door to door, uh, when we're hitting third, third Street Promenade or wherever you're at witnessing, how many of you know when you go witnessing, you run into people that have never heard about Christ, but you also run into people that said they used to follow Christ? Whether, he knew, whether they knew him or not, it's immaterial. The point is they need to turn back to Jesus either way. Amen? So we need to make sure we're... Jesus said he'll leave the 99, the good shepherd, right? And he'll get just that one backslider and bring them back, and they'll be rejoicing in heaven more than the 99 that are already saved. Amen? So we have our work cut out for us, and what a blessed work it is to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. To represent our King. So it's important that we understand this and, and, and we get busy uh, serving him and uh, that we're humble before him and we rely on him. And by the way, you know how you're made righteous before him? Not by your own good works. All of our, our good works are like, you know, filthy rags before him as far as merit and earning salvation. Now he does do righteous deeds through us and gives us power to do what the Bible does esteem as righteous deeds. It's proven throughout the scripture but they don't earn you salvation. What makes you righteous before God is the blood of Christ, who on the cross died for your sins, the crimes that you committed, took your place, and cried out, to tell us tie. It is finished. Amen. Paid in full. In fact, we're told of, in Romans 4.3 of Abraham, and Paul uses him as an example for us as believers. Even Abraham, he says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Amen. He was declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that uh, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have what? Become new. And you know what 5.20 says? Listen to this. I love this. 5.19-20. My brethren. I want to get the right verse here. 5.21, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made the one who did not know sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us so that we in him would become the righteousness of God. Amen. You're righteous through faith in Christ. Amen. You've been declared righteous if you're trusting Jesus. Amen. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And by the way, an effectual, fervent... What are you thinking when you think of effectual? What, it's fervent. Not like, God's neat, let's eat. That's your prayer at dinner time? Really? Okay. What about, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Praise your name that you're so good to me. And I don't just thank you for food. A lot of times I say, Lord, thank you for giving me good taste buds. You know, sometimes I say too good taste buds, Lord, but thank you, Jesus. But you know what? I think it's so important that we just were fervent in our prayers for the lost. You know, if you read the story of Elijah, you don't see him praying right before the rain stops. He just see it happening. He denounces it and it happens. But we see from James that guess what? The Holy Spirit lets us know that he cried out to God fervently. You have lost loved ones that you want to win to Christ or bring back to Christ? Be a fervent prayer, man. Pray for them fervently every day. God, please bring them back to Jesus. Amen. You have lost friends, neighbors? Pray, Lord, win them to yourself. But then say, but Lord, help me be the answer to that prayer too. If you can't get out, pray for others that God would send out laborers in the harvest field. Either way, you're supposed to be praying for that. Jesus said the harvest is already wet in the snow. He said pray that the Father would send out laborers in the harvest field because the laborers, he said, are few. Amen? We need more people going out witnessing, more people going out and sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when you pray, the Holy Spirit moves. When you're crying out to God in faith fervently and you're praying and seeking him, so often the Holy Spirit will be moving in response to your prayer. I remember when we were ministering uh, yesterday, uh, Carly, uh, it's good to see you here, Carly, by the way. She shared a story that just blessed my heart. I couldn't get out of my brain because it was just such a great story. And at, at, where she's praying, she, well, we, there was a lot of prayer to be going on, right? But she went and shared, the, shared with a man who dropped his, was it girlfriend or dropped his wife, wife off to kill their baby, okay? At Planned Parenthood, same Planned Parenthood we were just at, right? And she went up to him in his car and she said, you need to man up and save your daughter, or save your baby. Right now, you need a man up. Am I getting this right, Carly? Oh, it was on the sidewalk. Oh, I, I don't want to implicate her. She, Planned Parenthood, she was not. She was on the sidewalk. She was not on the property. Okay, let's get that straight. All of a sudden, she's taken away in handcuffs. You probably get to visit the White House, you know? Okay. Anyway, uh, what happens is crazy, though, because he won't even look at her. He's probably, like, disgusted. You, she was probably thinking he's disgusted with what she's saying and everything. She walks away, and he gets out of his car, 
and he's bawling. He's bawling. What was he saying, Carly? You changed my mind. Okay? And she's tripping out. How did I change his mind? I think the Lord put those words in her mouth. Man up, you know? And she's he, he got this gal, I love it. Man up, you know? Save your baby. Praise God, you guys. The Holy Spirit will use, because she's saying something that's totally scriptural. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, stand up like a man. She's basically telling him what the scriptures say. And the Holy Spirit's taking that and speaking to his heart. And now he has, how long ago was this? That was, this baby was saved. That was Wednesday. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He is so good. Amen. So, guys, pray. The Holy Spirit will be working in ways, you, you know, it's like when you plant a seed, you know, you don't see all that's going on. And you, you look out the next day. I mean, I just planted a moringa plant in my backyard. And it's the one best plant in the world for It's like a famine tree. They call it the miracle tree. They call it the tree of life. Because it's not the tree of life, but they call it that. It grows in India. It grows in Africa. It grows in the Philippines. And you can take these moringa leaves and just eat them off the tree because they have all the amino acids, vitamin A, vitamin C, all these wonderful things. But guess what? I go out there the next day because, I don't know, I'm just, I got to give the dogs water and stuff. I go look at my moringa tree. It's been three, four days. Every day I can see it. It's bigger. It's bigger. They grow like huge. That's the prettiest tree, but they're really edible. And I'm like, man, Lord, that's interesting because we don't usually see growth that fast. And you won't see that growth always in people who lead to Christ that, that fast. But you don't see a kid for a while, a nephew, a niece, or whatever, and then you see him a little bit later, months later, it's like, what happened? But their parents don't see that growth. You keep seeking Jesus. You keep growing. And guess what? You keep planting seeds, and those seeds will grow because the Holy Spirit will bring them to fruition. Of course, he works with the person's will, but it's all according to uh, God's, God's economy, God's plan. Amen. So we have an awesome, awesome God. Amen. Next thing I want to talk about is uh, the power of his love. And I'm talking about a bunch of tools. So when you leave here, don't think, oh, I wish you would cover this tool or that tool, because I'm going to cover quite a few of these tools. I'm just not going to get them all in this message. So I want to talk about the power of his love. You know what was really beautiful yesterday? is seeing believers from different places, different churches, loving one another, serving one another. Standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Standing up for babies together. Carly, probably how many churches were represented there yesterday, maybe? Three. Just three? Oh, man. Well, you guys work with like 19 out here, right? Oh, 25 you're working with? That's great. Well, there's a few churches there. Most people were from Blessed Hope. But I was, you know what was really awesome for me? I got to uh, run into a, a brother I hadn't seen in years, okay? And we don't see eye to eye on certain doctrines at all. But he's still a Christian, uh, he's not like teaching, you know, whacked out that we are gods and, you know, and all that stuff. He, he's reformed. And, you know, if we talk about, we talk about Calvinism here, we disagree with reformed theology. We believe that Christ died for everyone. We believe that he doesn't will that any would perish, but that all come to repentance. You know, we believe uh, that he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked and, and that he wills that all will be saved, come knowledge of the truth. And this is a pastor that I've had some good chats with in the past. I used to meet with some Calvary Chapel pastors when I first became a pastor, four or five of us. And this pastor, his, his, not, his church isn't even called Calvary Chapel. It's called by another name because there's not full agreement with Calvary Chapel in, in him, you know. But I know this guy loves Jesus. He has reformed. He's, it's the way he sees the scripture. And I've debated him a few times, just informally, in our meetings. We've talked about it. And we could have some strong disagreement on certain ways we understand scripture. But I believe he's sincerely understanding the scripture the way he sees it. I believe he's sincere. I believe he trusts Jesus and he loves Jesus. So I believe he's a brother. But we don't see eye to eye exactly. And it's interesting because we had a really good chat. We talked and I said to him, I go, hey, bro, even though we've, you know, had some of our differences doctrinally, I go, I, I praise God you're here. We can lock shields together and stand up for life together. Amen. Now, would, would I have him teaching his doctrine in our Sunday school class? No. And he wouldn't have me in his church teaching, you know, that God loves everybody and wants them all to be saved and, and, and gives everybody a genuine opportunity to win, be saved either, you know? So, but at the same time, we talked about that. And we also talked about how we can't always unite with everybody either. We both agreed. Because we have a lot more in agreement than with a lot of the posse that's going out there, all the weirdness that's going out there, all the strange stuff, all the, the strange fire that's not biblically based. Him and I are both on that. We both see what's going on. And he said, he goes, yeah, Joe, he goes, 
uh, we have, you know, ortho, we both have orthodox statements of faith. And he goes, there's people that have orthodox statements of faith, but they don't even follow them. I go, I'm, I'm, you can go on some church's website and say, oh, I believe all that. But they're teaching junk, you know. We had a really good talk. And as I was leaving, he came, Joe, I got a gift for you. He gave me a gift. And it was First and Second Timothy and Titus in a little book for pastors. And next to each book, every page has scripture. The next page has your journal notes, you know. I thought, well, how sweet, you know. And I just blessed my heart. And I, I know he loves Jesus, you know. And it's interesting because it made me think of the story, which is far more dramatic, where the two greatest evangelists in the 1700s were John Wesley and John Whitfield. And Whitfield was John Wesley's protege in his so-called, you know, holiness club. He was a young guy. And Wesley brought him up in the faith and discipled him. And guess what? With Whitfield, it was quite interesting because he became a Calvinist, reformed. Wesley called Calvinism poison. He felt it was a very dangerous doctrine. He warned about it constantly. But he recognized that Whitfield was sincere. He recognized that there were truly people that were coming to Christ still through his ministry. A lot of people came to Christ through Wesley and through Whitfield. And it's kind of interesting because people, we believe. So we're not saying, hey, sloppy agape, it doesn't matter what you believe. That's wrong. Amen? That's wrong. But at the same time, you also need to recognize there's brothers and sisters that don't dot their theological I's and cross their theological T's the same way you do. So it's interesting. Whit Wesley was older than Whitfield, and he wouldn't live who knows how much longer, they thought, you know. And somebody, one of, Whit one of Whitfield's disciples came to him and spoke out against Wesley and said, we won't see John Wesley in heaven, will we, to Whitfield? We won't see him in heaven, will we? Whitfield humbly replied, yes, you're right. You know, yes, you're right. We won't see him in heaven. He'll be so close to the throne of God. We will be, we will be so, and we'll be so far away that we won't be able to see him. Woo, wow. That's pretty powerful, huh? And you know what? Whitfield, Wesley after that sometime got sick because he's an older guy. He went on horseback thousands and thousands of miles, more than just about anybody that's ever lived, witnessing all over the place. The Wesleyan churches, the Wesleyan holiness churches, the Nazarene churches, the Methodist churches, all, they're all named after from his work. Wow. And he wrote a letter to Wesley as Wesley appeared to be dying. And Whitfield wrote, A radiant throne awaits you, John. And you're long, uh, uh, you will enter your master's joy. Yonder he stands with a massive crown ready to put it on your head amidst an admiring throng of saints and angels. Well, Wesley recovered from that illness. And he just kept living and kept preaching. And then Whitfield died. But Whitfield had him do, well, he arranged it before he died, his funeral. You know what Wesley said at his funeral? Wesley said at Whitfield's funeral, there are many doctrines of a less essential nature with regard to which even the most sincere children of God disagree and have been divided for many ages. In these we may think and let think. We may agree to disagree. You ever hear that saying, agree to disagree? So we can wrap our arms around brothers and sisters that disagree with us, unless they're denying the Trinity, unless they're dealing with demonic forces and just opening themselves up to anything and not having any discernment and preaching a different gospel or denying that the Bible is the Word of God, denying the essentials, denying that you're saved by grace through faith, or telling people that you could live like hell and still enter the kingdom of God. For the scriptures say, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There are certain lines, and, 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 and my brother Errol and I talked about how it's difficult to know where those lines are. But you know what Jesus said, guys? And this is, this is very, very important. In John 13, 35, he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Amen. And John 17, listen to this, verse 20, says, Jesus says, I do not ask. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I do not ask on, uh, uh, for these alone, meaning for his disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's who? Us, Right? that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us. So why? So the world may believe that you sent me. When the world sees the love of Christ in us, they're convicted that they don't have that. And they want, they know intuitively that they're supposed to be part of God's family. And hopefully God convicts them and they turn to Christ and are born again. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, and they may be perfected in unity, so that the world, so here it is again, so the world may know that you sent me, 
and love them even as you have loved me. Isn't that beautiful? So I strive. It's hard as a pastor. I strive for unity among my brothers and sisters that aren't like-minded as long as we agree on the essentials. And at the same time, I reserve the right and I reserve the duty before God to preach the true doctrines as I see them in Scripture, even on what may be considered non-essential. Because the Bible says there must be division among you to see who is affirmed by God. So there's going to be divisions among us. But guess what? The more we know God's truth, the more we're committed to God's truth, the more we seek God's truth, the more we earnestly pray and cry out for God's truth to understand it, the more we become one. Satan wants to say this. He's, Satan wants to push an ecumenical movement. Just set aside every difference and just all become one and sing kumbaya and so forth. And no, because then you've got sloppy agape, then you're going to believe in everything, you know, every false doctrine that comes down the pike. The entire New Testament, all the New Testament letters pretty much were written to correct false doctrine. You hear me? Every New Testament letter pretty much was written to correct false doctrine and bad behavior. So you can't preach this word without. So when I see that Jesus died for everyone, I'm going to preach died for everyone. And when I know people are saying he didn't die for everyone, I'm going to say, no, he did. And this is why. Because this is, that's a growing movement. But guess what? I know there's people that believe that, that put their head on their pillow. And guess what? They're trusting Jesus. And they love him. And I had a sister say, how can you say that Calvinists are Christians? A lot of Calvinists don't believe non-Calvinists like that woman that talked to Whitfield are Christians. But, a lot of, but some... Non-Calvinists don't believe Calvinists are Christians. How could you believe someone who denies that Jesus died for everybody is a Christian? I know he is. I talked to one brother who's a very popular brother with regard to street evangelism, one of the most popular street evangelist ministers had a number of books out for a long time. And I called him up because he divided with, with Calvinist brothers and said, they're not our brothers. I called him. I said, hey, bro. I go, I'm probably stronger against Calvinism than any brother you know pretty much. And I go, you're going too far. And he said, he goes, Joe, they're denying that Jesus died for everyone. I go, I can show you someone else. I'm paraphrasing what I'm saying. I can't remember my exact words, but this is what I told him. I can show you someone else in Scripture that didn't believe Jesus died for everyone. And I took him to Acts 10, where the apostle Peter believed that salvation was just for the Jews. And Jesus dropped a bunch of unclean food in front of him on a sheet and said, kill and eat. And Peter said, I've never eaten anything unkosher since I was a kid. Jesus says, do it again. He says, the third time he says, if you don't, he says, kill and eat. He goes, don't you dare call unclean what I've called clean. Then Peter realized that Jesus also died for the Gentiles. But was Peter not saved for the first 10 chapters of Acts? No, he was saved and God used him mightily, amen? So if you're a mature Christian, you won't freak out. I'm not saying the brother is talking to me. It's not a reflection of him. I'm right back to you now because I gave him something to think about, you know? And, but I'm telling you right now, as a mature Christian, we have to learn how to love people, Right? but also discern the difference between good and evil and stand on the truth, even on issues like this. Because we don't just say, oh, it's no big deal. You could teach this and this Sunday school teach that. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion, amen? amen. We have to have truth and, and preach it how we understand it. But I love you guys so much. And I got two more minutes of grace, right? Right, sister? So let's, uh, let's pass out that cup and bread. Now it's on you guys. <laughs> love you guys. Let's all please stand up.